interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good Saturday morning. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Uh, glad to have you along. Uh, boy, we went from the bitter cold now to uh, fairly balmy. Uh, I was actually on a trip in Florida uh, last week. It was 83, 83, 83, and then all of a sudden it was 60. And you'd have thought that an Arctic uh, wind had come through, and I was still, uh, I, I still refused to wear a coat. But uh, then I get back here, and wow, we're in the 50s. It, uh, I can truly say, it feels like Florida. Uh, not for long. Uh, good to have you along. I hope your February is off to a good start. And uh, I hope you're rooting for the Chiefs for the Super Bowl tomorrow. Uh, if you're not, well, one of us will be happy and one of us will be sad. But uh, hopefully it'll be a good game. I am very pleased to have in the studio today another author. And uh, once in a while I bump into an author and I think uh, people need to hear about this book. And the book just came out. It's called Journey to Freedom, Uncovering the Grace and Sisters Escape from Nebraska Territory. By, uh, by Gail Schaefer Blankenau. Gail, welcome to Friendly Fire. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, there. Uh, you're now. You have. Is this your? How many books have you written? This is the first one. The, all right. It's uh, it's it's a, a. When I read the subtitle and I read the introduction, I thought, "What Journey to Freedom? What? How is that possible in Nebraska? We didn't have slaves." That is usually the first response that I get when I start to talk about my project. What? There were slaves in Nebraska, but we were Union and we were part of the North and and we just have, this is an untold story and that's why it's important to tell it. During the territorial period, we did have slaves here and it was actually pretty controversial, which gave me a lot to write about. Yes, yes. So we're gonna get we're gonna get to the book here in just a minute. <laughs> yeah. And we'll get into more detail. But first, um, we I always want to know a little bit about the guest. Where are you originally from? I'm originally from Shadron, Nebraska, which is way up in the corner, northwestern corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to go up to the Black Hills all the time. We're very close to the Black Hills. Yeah. So a very different landscape. And even I would say a different subculture of Nebraska because now we have irrigation, but when I was younger, we didn't, and it was more ranching, 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 and cattle. Yeah. there. Uh, my son lives up in Valentine now, so I know it's not oh, yeah. quite by Shattern, but it's a similar, is it a similar kind of look? It's a similar look, but we have the Pine Ridge that gotcha. the Sandhills doesn't have. It's hilly, a lot rockier mm-hmm. than the Sandhills, and then studded with those beautiful ponderized. Ponderosa pines. Yes, yes. It is. There, I love it when we bump into parts of Nebraska that are just like you know, I, what? This is Nebraska. It's really actually pretty cool. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's spectacular at times. It's just yeah, one of my favorite places, of course. Do you still <laughs> no have, bias. Do you still have family up there? No, oh, okay. um, I did not too long ago, but they're all gone now. But I'll yeah. still go back because I love it so much. Yeah, yeah. There, uh, so how did you how did you find your way to Lincoln then? I went to school here, and then I went to school abroad, and then I went to graduate school in California, and I thought I would stay there, and then I decided I was missing my family, so I came back, mm. and ended up getting married, and that 
was definitely when I stayed in Nebraska. Sealed the deal, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how long have you been in Lincoln then? Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask that. Oh, it's a, a, how, a, a long, long time. A good long one. Um, I'd say continuously mm-hmm. since 1990. Okay. All right. That's So Lincoln's home. Lincoln is home. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, now, you have been uh, involved in, before we get to the book, uh, before I knew you were writing this kind of book, I mean, I knew that you were uh, into history. And uh, where did that uh, love for history, and in particular, we'll talk about some of the genealogy stuff that, that you're into, but where did that love of history begin? It began very early. My parents had a whole set of history books that were for young people, mm-hmm. and I read those. And frankly, my mother had a degree in journalism, and she was a bit of a storyteller. She was also from Shadron, so she would tell stories of the old days in Shadron, and mm. there were some funny stories and some sad stories, and I I always loved history. Yeah. So it started early. It's a natural part. And then genealogy came a little later, but dovetailed well with my interest in history, mm-hmm. and Anyone who's ever done genealogy will tell you it can be a bit obsessive. and But I do credit it for the ability for this book to really dig deep into primary sources because genealogists have to become very creative. Mm-hmm. Some of it looks easy, but there's always that brick wall that happens and you have to think about substitute evidence to to make your way and make progress. And that experience was invaluable for mm. doing history. Absolutely. By the way, the um, I saw a few years ago, I, I got into the genealogy. And honestly, the easiest part is just finding names and places and dates. And But how do you, uh, so how do you get through that to actual stories? What are, what are some of your tricks and tips? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I would recommend looking to see if anyone in that area wrote a diary, Mm. even if you're, for instance, I have an ancestor who was uh, a Union soldier in Ohio. He did not leave an account of what he experienced, but I found a diary of one of his fellow soldiers who was in the same regiment, also Mm. in the same, you know, everything. And so I knew I kind of incorporated some of what that person said, mm-hmm. knowing that my ancestor was there too. Yeah. That's one thing. Uh, it's interesting where you find stories. You also don't hesitate to reach out to others who are researching your lines. Mm-hmm. I had a third cousin who had a whole bunch of letters that she shared with me. Mm-hmm. And again, filling in a lot of those gaps that go beyond dates and names. It is mm-hmm. fun to... It's a little bit like a crossword puzzle. You fill out the puzzle and you'd hate to have a blank. Yeah. But then you really want to fill in more about what it was like. And just this morning I heard somebody talking about the weather as you did when you started. Yep. And she said, can you imagine being a pioneer And during that time when we were had 30 below zero wind chills? And, mm. and I think it's good for genealogists and historians to think about those things. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. There, uh, by the way, I was trying to, uh, well, I was trying to access my grandfather's uh, military records. 
And then they, uh, well, they would only release them to, I think, whoever identified as his children and not a grandchild. And so I, I, maybe I, I might need some tips there. But it kind of, the more I thought about it, it's like, well, he doesn't have any children left. So there's no children of his that could could do that. And I, and I didn't know, maybe I just wasn't, I wasn't pushing hard enough or trying hard enough. What war was this? World War I. Uh, well, number one, whoever told you that is wrong. Mm. Good. <laughs> Yay. You should be able to access them. Uh, there was a huge fire at the National Archives. So a lot of the actual service records for World War I soldiers mm -hmm. are gone. Mm. I actually can tell you a lot about how to research <laughs> World War I people. I have a World War I grandfather as well. Oh, okay. And uh, he had no service records left. In my case, he did leave a diary, though. Oh, wow. Now, it's more of a journal, more mm -hmm. like we went here and we marched there, and every once in a while he'll insert something personal, but mm -hmm. most of it, but it still really helped because I had no service record. Yeah. Now, the, the person who said that may be talking about medical records. Mm -hmm. I don't know that, but I, even that, I would think... Mm -hmm. As you said, when all the children have passed away, uh, you should have you should be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm... I do know a man who. There are a lot of people who have people who were down in um, some of the uh, what they called sanatoriums and you know insane oh. asylums. Mm -hmm. uh, boy, we could go down a rabbit hole on asylum, the use of different words for these places. Mm -hmm. But that said. He wanted to know about his great-grandmother there, and they would not release it. And he was so desperate, he actually went to court and was able to get them to release to him. Mm. But he had to actually go to court to get those wow. records. Yeah. So, yeah, it's you, yeah. there are different rules for different things. But, but for World War I, the problem might be just that there isn't anything there. Gotcha. That said... I don't want people to give up because you need to see, because there were fragments that survived. And what if you're one of the fragments? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. We're going to take our first break. And when we come back, we're going to dig into this book here. Um, and, uh, because, and we've already started a little bit because it starts at a place where none of us Nebraskans expect. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, and we don't want to give away all the secrets of the book. But uh, uh, let's, let's talk about the outline of the book. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday, talking with Gail Schaefer Blankenau, and it's good to have you along. Uh, freshen up the coffee. We're just getting started here on 1499.3 KLIN. Keeping the topics lively and the conversation civil, this is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's a friendly fire Saturday. Talking with uh, Gail Schaefer Blankenau and uh, about her book *Journey to Freedom: Uncovering the Grayson Sisters' Escape from Nebraska Territory*. And I want to go to the beginning of the beginning. Where did you first hear the story of the Grayson Sisters that that began that process of saying, "Huh, I I think someone needs to tell this story." How did that begin? Well, it was a long process to when I first became aware of it and started to write about it. I first became aware of it when reading Andreas's History of Nebraska, which is an old history, hmm. has some errors in it, but it's still a really good overall summary of 
of Nebraska's early history. And there's this little section in it that just says slavery in Nebraska. And you and like you, I was like, huh, slavery in Nebraska? You've got to be kidding me. I mean, I'm lifelong Nebraska. We took Nebraska history yeah. when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. Not a word about this. So you file these things in the back of your mind. You just do. And then a few years later, I was working on a different project in a genealogy. And I came across the Knuckles family papers. And I was looking through them. They have quite a few of old newspaper articles and biographies. And I found this account book that had births and deaths of enslaved people back in Grayson County, Virginia. And again, kind of filing it as a genealogist especially, it was just a reminder to me as a professional, you never know where something's going to turn up. I mean, if you were from Grayson County, Virginia, would you think to look in History Nebraska archives? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, the, obviously the family came from there and went there. But again, kind of filed it away, and I thought, boy, there are just still so many unanswered questions about these enslaved people. And then I decided to get my second master's degree, this time in history. My first one's in international policy, which I wasn't using very much in Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) Probably doesn't come in handy as much as your second master's. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'd like to professionalize this part of what I'm doing a little more. And I was taking a class in research methods. Now, Karen, I'm a longtime researcher. I have no problem going into an archive and I'm one of those patient people who sits in front of microfilm readers and reads and reads and reads until that nugget appears that I just am excited about. My teacher said, we're having a final paper. You can do whatever topic you'd like, but I, because this is research methods, you really need to have as your springboard primary sources. And I would recommend looking at territorial history because there's so many opportunities there to make a contribution. There are a few historians who have written about it, but there's just a lot out there. And I immediately went, Celia and Eliza Grayson, Nebraska City. And it turned out to be serendipitous serendipitous in more than one way because I had another topic that I thought I might do for my thesis, and, and it was in the Dakota Territory. But then I thought, you know, I need to stay closer to home. There are going to be a lot of primary sources that I can can use, and I can drive easily down to Nebraska City. So that was part of my my decision-making. Well, the paper, once I got into it, I thought, there is so much more about this that I could say. Mm. And my my professor also said, yes, wow, this is quite quite a bit. You've unearthed more than, and I said, and there's more, there's more that I want to do. And so then I changed my thesis topic to this topic because, and again, COVID hit after I made that decision. But can you imagine me trying to write this without being able to drive to North and South Dakota? Uh, It just turned out to be lucky in more than one way. But also, I just was really fascinated. As soon as I started that final paper, it mm-hmm. just it just grasped me. It was so interesting, and I had no idea where it was going to lead me. 
there, um, let me backtrack just a little bit. There, we're we're of, of the impression now in the uh, age of the internet that oh, you need to find something, you just find it on the internet. But mm-hmm. uh, but these are the kind of documents. Uh, how much it it's it sounds to me like there's maybe some you can do on the internet, but the vast ma- the majority of it you've got to just you got to roll up your sleeves, you got to travel, you got to dig through stuff. Is that correct? It's partially correct. I will say that the when I started the thesis, which became the book, the Nebraska City News was still just on microfilm. And during the writing of the book, it was digitized. I have to say the digital newspapers really made a difference in the book. Mm. And so I don't want to say it's all at primary source level, but... Without those primary sources, I think it's harder to make a real contribution mm-hmm. to history. I mean, this is groundbreaking. It's mm-hmm. been called groundbreaking, not by being by other people. Mm-hmm. And that is the archives, the courthouse, the make sure you don't wear nice clothes to the courthouse because those old books have almost like rust on them. And, you know, just the ability to go and just haul big books out of shelves and open them up and see what you can find. Yeah. And that is actually still should be a major part of any good history. Yeah. There, uh, I mean, you're dealing with old, old documents I mean, uh, often as, is there, a, I mean, is that a part of your training is to know how to handle them and how to make sure that they don't deteriorate in your care? Yes. Um, several rules. There are actually, this is really good. We're kind of getting a wide ranging here. <laughs> So it used to be that they had you wear gloves and now they have you wear gloves for some things, but not for all, because sometimes the glove actually led people to rip more because they couldn't feel Mm. the paper well enough. So now we have to just be really sanitized for certain papers. It depends what we're handling. Uh, Most good archives have what we call a cradle so that we don't open a book Mm. completely. And I do it at home too. I, I put together my own cradle Mm. Uh, made out of foam, and I just make sure that any old thing is never opened all the way so that I don't break the spine. Mm. Uh, Other things, just make sure your hands are absolutely and utterly clean, no oil. And always put things back the way you found them. Mm. Uh, Because sometimes the order of the papers in in a folder or wherever it's being kept also has some significance and will contribute to your analysis. Mm. Um, When people are sloppy, things get destroyed, things get ripped again. But also when they're out of order, sometimes that can affect Mm. the actual analysis of what Mm. you're looking at. So yes, there are, uh, there's more I could say, but those would be the main things for anyone who is inspired to go looking. Because if you like a treasure hunt, you're going to love what I've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I must admit, I have a special interest because my uh, my daughter-in-law is, uh, she just became the curator of, uh, of, uh, of, of rare copies at Penn and uh, has just been doing that for a few months. And so this is like her world. Yes. Uh, uh, curating and caring for this stuff. And, uh, uh, and so now, hey, you gave me a little window of at least what part of her job is probably like. Yes. And then they are often trying to digitize these things so nobody has to 
put them on a copier again. Is that is that becoming more common then? Yes. And it used to be down at History Nebraska Archives, I had to copy things and or okay. they would have to copy them. Yeah. And then I'd pay for it. But I was a I was also a historical society member, so the copies were free for me. But mm-hmm. now they will let you take digital photographs. Oh wow. And that's partly because of that problem of you know, how do we handle these in the safest way. And as long as you're not using a flash, Mm. uh, you can take a photograph. So the flash does actually do some. Yes. You don't, you don't want to use a flash. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Take a second break here. When we come back, I want to learn more about, uh, we're going to talk about those two young women. And, uh, and uh, because I, my, my guess is that when you write about these women in such detail, that uh, you kind of feel like you get to know them a little bit. And so, uh, so we'll dig, uh, again, we'll save some of the secrets of the book, but, but to dig in a little bit, at least some of, the, of, of their story. It's Friendly Fire Saturday, talking with Gail Schaefer Blankenau, and glad to have you along. Uh, we'll be right back here on The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns, 1499.3 KLIN. Rolling right along on a Saturday morning, uh, talking uh, history and Nebraska history uh, with Gail Schaefer Blankenau. And uh, uh, the story of uh, the Grayson sisters. So two sisters who escaped uh, Nebraska territory, uh, who were held here as slaves. Um, I'm just assuming that when you we write about them and their story and you dig up uh, all the things that you you kind of get to know them a little bit. So what what uh, what's that what's that like to not just not just uncover a story but un- uncover two people? Another great question. In fact, I do feel like I know them a little bit, but I don't know them as well as I'd like. Yeah. Um, other authors have chosen people who have actually left a diary or an interview or something about them other than this very public and nationally publicized escape and journey we don't know a lot about them so I had to tease it out from other sources but what we do know just because of the the circumstances of their escape was that they were very determined. Mm. They truly wanted to be free because their act was very dangerous. Mm. They crossed the Missouri in November with the ice running mm. in the water at night. Now, the Missouri back then was not as channelized or dammed as it is today, mm. and it was a much more dangerous river. And believe me, they knew the danger. They had been on ferries. They had mm. been on the river. Um, they were originally from Virginia, and then they had lived in Missouri for six years before Nebraska Territory mm. opened up. They knew the river, and they knew the dangers. There were also lots of stories of slave catching and the violence and the things that happened to people who did not succeed mm. in in their freedom-seeking and so the stakes were really high for them. So they were courageous, determined, and again, they had been wrenched from Virginia as young girls. Mm. 
And I tried to imagine what it would be like to have to leave all of that behind, everything you'd ever known, Mm. and go to, well, then it was northwest Missouri. And then once again to be uprooted and go across into Nebraska territory. And at the time when there was a lot of controversy about slavery swirling around them all the time. Mm. And they just had to make that decision. And it's clear that they planned they planned ahead. How old, do we know roughly how old they were then at that we time? We do because the History of Nebraska Archives does have that account book with their exact birth dates mm. in it. So when they left slavery, they were 20 and 22. Wow. And also I'm the first person to identify the likelihood, in fact, the almost certainty that they were sisters. Mm. And again, that's part of the analysis you learn not only as a historian but as a genealogist. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the pattern of births Mm -hmm. in the records that we do have. They're about every two years. Mm. And they are Celia one date, Eliza the next. Mm. uh, The role of Nebraska City, because this is Nebraska territory, it's not... uh, they. uh, One of the things you mentioned early in the book is that Nebraska City was... Part of the name is thinking that it's going to be a major city. I mean, and, and St. Louis, uh, all these major uh, waterway cities, and this was going to be the major waterway city. But it didn't quite develop that way. No. What was it, what was its role in this era compared to you know? I mean, Lincoln didn't even exist. Uh, was uh, was it one of uh, just a handful of kind of uh, significant towns in the territory? Yes, because whenever you're opening up new territory, one of the big things, and this is true of other territories too, there are often fights. You know, you have a lot of people come in, buy up land, and they're hoping that they're buying land in the next big place that's going to make them wealthy. Mm -hmm. And Nebraska City was definitely in the running, but Omaha was also in the running. Mm -hmm. And Omaha, right across from what was then Canesville, which became Council Bluffs, Iowa. And then you have Nebraska City, which drew a little bit more from southern Iowa and then Missouri. And both of them had great places for steamships to dock. In the very beginning, Nebraska City was bigger than Omaha. Mm. And there was a lot of hope there, of course, that they would be, they would be able to beat out um, Omaha. And I do talk about it in the book, but There are reasons that it kind of started to tip Omaha's way, and many of them were just which politician was was in charge at the time. We had an early governor die early that was appointed, and then Thomas Cumming, who had almost all of his business interests were in Omaha. Mm. Um, He was the acting territorial governor until a new one was appointed, and he moved pretty quickly (laughs) to make sure that um, the area north of the Platte would get some precedence. And it was pretty controversial at the time. There's quite a bit. I don't go too much in a rabbit hole in the book, but I do mention it because mm-hmm. Knuckles, the, ins- the person who enslaved Celia and Eliza Grayson, was, of course, advocating for Nebraska City. Mm. Is there uh, So the name Knuckles, when I noticed that, K-N... It's K-N-O, right? Um, uh, actually, no, it's N-U-C-K-O-L-L-S. Okay. But like any surname, there might be somebody spelled it, a spelled it a different way. And actually, that's one of the 
techniques I would tell anyone who's doing research to use uh, in those digitized newspapers. I would use knuckles, but I would spell it every which way to make sure I picked up every single piece that might have been published about them. Gotcha. And sometimes they did call him K N. U-C-K, <laughs> <laughs> like the knuckles. Yeah. And then there are a few that are actually, there were some writers that were playing on his name on purpose. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah, to yeah. find all that, you need to be creative. Yes, yes. Uh, so they're, uh, they're taken captive. They're in Nebraska. They plot to, to get out. Um, why... I mean, again, as you're researching this and you're and you're understanding this, uh, and their story and this idea of a whole of what slavery in Nebraska, why do you think it was it was buried for so long? Because you you grew up here, you didn't know it. I grew yeah. up here. All I'll guarantee all of our listeners growing up here probably didn't know this story. Yeah. Why? It, any any ideas in your mind? Is is it just shame that they just didn't want people to know about this, or or why was that part of the history uh, really not a part of what we knew? That's a great question too. I think some of it was shame. I think on the part of the people who were pro-slavery, they definitely after the Civil War didn't want to emphasize that part, especially if they were ambitious politically at all. Mm-hmm. They it was better to just sweep some of it under the rug. The other reason is that, you know, once people start sweeping things under, it's easy to forget there were never tremendous numbers of enslaved people in the territory. And people would say, well, yeah, there was slavery, but it's just this peculiar little blip. But it didn't matter because there weren't very many. Well, (laughs) it was national news. So one of the questions that my book, I set out to answer, and I think Mm -hmm. the book does, Mm -hmm. why out of the thousands of people who left enslavement every year, out of all of them, why is this one national news? Now, there were others too, but not very many. Out of the thousands, they had to choose the ones that had some sort of resonance for people as far away as New York, Pennsylvania, and down in Louisiana, everywhere. And they were national news. Mm. And so if they were that important, if they were emblematic of the incredible ferment that was happening in the 1850s in the run-up to the Civil War, Mm. why? What was it about them and their experience that was resonating on both sides of the debate? Mm. And you got to read the book. And you have answer. to read the book. Okay, we're going to take our last break. When we come back, we'll do a little shameless plug. And uh, and I also want to get some more hot tips on genealogies. <laughs> yeah. Because I know that's that's your bread and butter. And so uh, I and I bet I'm not the only one out there. Uh, it's a Friendly Fire Saturday talking with uh, Gail Schaefer Blankenau. And uh, glad to have you along here on 1499.3 KLIN. Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday. Talking with Gail Schaefer, Lincoln Law. And uh, Gail, it is that time of the program. We always do a shameless plug. So uh, if people want to buy this book or learn about this book or... Uh, are there, tell me, tell me about upcoming events and website and all that good stuff. 
Okay, well, uh, Journey to Freedom, Uncovering the Grayson Sisters' Escape from Nebraska Territory is published by the University of Nebraska Press. So if you go to the University of Nebraska Press and type in Blankenau, it'll come up and you can get it there. It's also available at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and other places. Mm-hmm. Locally, if, on Amazon. there you go. Oh, if you like to support your local bookstore, Francie and Fitch will have it as well. Um, and I do have some events coming up. Uh, one is going to be to be scheduled, but I will be at Francine and Fitch's um, mm-hmm. doing a book talk. I have on March 28th. I will be in Western Iowa, so if any of mm-hmm. your listeners are in there, I mm-hmm. will be doing the Over a Cup of Coffee series where they talk to different people mm-hmm. at Iowa Western Community College in Shenandoah. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a place that's very close to one of the places that sheltered Celia and Eliza when they were on the Underground Railroad, so mm-hmm. it's, it's very pertinent for them as well. I'll also be doing lunch at the library on April 3rd at Bennett Martin Library in Lincoln. And the National Willa Cather Center has asked me to go there and help them celebrate Nebraska History Day on Friday, April 5th. That's awesome. That's, so those are some fun upcoming events. By the way, Francie and Finch, uh, Francie and... Finch. Finch. Okay, I want to make sure you say it right. It's, it looks so cool, and yet I, it's just I'm rarely downtown where I have like extra time to stop in. So now I've got a reason. There you go. Well, I got a reason to stop down in there. Oh, um, I should say too. I'm going mm-hmm. to do an own a book launch party mm-hmm. at uh, Zion Presbyterian Church. They have a really nice area where we can have some refreshments and uh-huh. and talk history. And I'll do a little reading there too. And that's going to be March 24th from three to five. All right, I know that place. You do that's, know that that's place. A, that's a good place. Rumor, rumor <laughs> is, rumor is there might be wine and cheese. So I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, if 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 there's book talk and wine and cheese, that's my kind of that's my kind of deal. Um, just a few uh, uh, in the at the end here to wrap up a few loose ends. You mentioned the Underground Railroad, and we most of us who lived here long enough know that Nebraska City was a part of that. We mm-hmm. you described you know the tour of the little place you go there. John uh, was it John Brown's Cave? Or, yes. And uh, so, uh, but it's easy. I, I don't know that there's a whole lot of. Even when I went there, I don't know that I got a whole ton of history about that. And and you think, well, we're kind of north to be a too much of an integral part of the Underground Railroad. But uh, that was that was Nebraska, Iowa, and other places. What did you learn about the Underground Railroad? I learned a lot about the Underground Railroad. But, yes, the especially southeast Nebraska, when you think about the geography, we have Nebraska. To the east, we have Iowa, a free state. Also bordering us, at least a small part of the border, is Missouri, which is a slave state. And then we have Kansas, which at the time was also in ferment over slavery. Many Missourians who wanted to um, help enslaved people leave bondage went into Kansas first and then clipped that southeast corner of Nebraska before crossing the river into Iowa. There had been people going through the Nebraska City area, as well as Richardson County and other parts of Nebraska, for for years before they finally made their break. Mm. Uh, they were here for four years, 
they were brought right away. I mean, talk about, I mean, they were here when it opened up. Mm. Mm. And the, the women were here when it opened up. So, mm-hmm. uh, but they stayed in place, which was one of the questions, the other questions we have to answer. What was their actual legal status mm. when they're in territorial Nebraska? The Kansas-Nebraska Act was ambiguous. Mm. And so that's part of the controversy that we talk about too. Mm. But the Underground Railroad, a lot of theirs, their route runs through Iowa, of course, because they're going north east. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the Iowa Freedom Trail is a big part of this story as well. Mm. And there were groups of abolitionists who, um, they had to do this because it was against the law. Mm. They had to do this very under, it wasn't literally underground, but they yeah. they couldn't t- talk about it because they could be jailed or fined for getting caught harboring fugitive slaves, mm. what were then called fugitive slaves. Yeah. So that's that's just a little bit of what I learned about them. And actually, some of what we know about Celia and Eliza is through later interviews mm. of people who were involved in helping them. Mm. And, cool. and they were almost certainly, almost all of them Christians. Mm. Uh, Quakers, of course, are famously part mm. of the Underground Railroad. But the people, for instance, in Civil Bend, Iowa, who helped them, they had a church called the Union Church, which was... It didn't mean union, literally, mm-hmm. which is what we think of because of the Civil War, but they meant it was a community church that had people from more than one background. Mm-hmm. Oberlin College in Ohio was kind of a feeder into this town, and also Tabor, Iowa, which is another stop on the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want me to keep going, but Nebraska City, um, John Brown's Cave was probably never used to hide slaves. So that's that's one of the problems with yeah. history. You know, things get repeated and repeated. And so a lot of my book corrects certain yeah. things. Now, I'm not the first one to correct that, but I do yeah. correct some other things that have been repeated through the years and are flat out wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, it's, that's how it happens, right? I mean, you just, stories get told and all of a sudden you need to, wait a minute, hold on. What's the real story? And uh, so, yeah, I got about three minutes left. Um, your work in genealogy, uh, what are, as you talk to people and you work with people and they're digging in and they're trying to find this stuff, what is it that you think that, uh, just from your experience, what is it people are looking for? What is it, what, what really compels them the most? What are some of the big drivers? I think it's kind of a mosaic, but usually people, there's that, show called Who Do You Think You Are? And there's something about your identity. You know, where did I come from? Where did they come from? And why did they come out here? I mean, how did I end up in this time and place? And and they realize that the people who preceded them do make a difference um, in kind of where they end up. The The other part is just that once you start asking those questions, Everybody really likes a detective story. (laughs) And it doesn't take long to say, well, I know who my grandparents are. Who were my great-grandparents? And then, you know, every question, every answer leads to more doors to be opened. Mm. And and it's just fun to keep 
learning and exploring. And when you find out that your ancestor was at a famous Revolutionary War battle or a famous Civil War battle, um, it brings history alive too. So it's it's a good way for people to really re- – you're going to retain history if you know your ancestor was there. Yeah, yeah. There, uh, when my son moved to Philadelphia and his with his wife and, and now my grandson, they um, – I told him, I said, the, my, our ancestors came through the port of Philadelphia in 1732. And, uh, and so, uh, and all of a sudden, I wanted to see that, the river, because I don't think of Philadelphia as being a port city, but yeah. the river is wide enough and there, there was all kinds of, uh, of uh, ship traffic. So, uh, so yeah, there's, there's something about that that made Philadelphia come to life for me. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. And now, and then you have to take heritage trips. Oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm going to, I need to take a few more of those, yeah. don't I? And, uh, got about 30 seconds left. Do you have another follow-up project for this that's kind of in your brain? I do. I actually had a section about their likely brother, Shaq, um, that I did cut down a little bit because one of my readers said, focus on Celia and Eliza. Mm. But he merits a book on his own, so I have that one. I also have one um, that has to do with German genealogy that I want to write. And then there's that original thesis topic that I still need to do. <laughs> so I do have more in the burner. Well, you, you've got, you need to get busy. because uh, But the, it's awesome to get this first uh, book uh, out and published. And, uh, and I, hope, I hope our listeners uh, seek it out. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. You bet. Uh, that is Gail Schaefer Blankenau. And uh, she has written Journey to Freedom. Great to have her here today. Great to have you listening along. Uh, I leave you singing as I always do to think about it and talk about it. See you next week.